Our scripture reading comes today from uh, Ruth 1, 6 through 18, and you can find it on your bulletins on page 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant uh, and the Lord grant that you may find rest and each of you in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lift up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your daughter-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so with me, and also, if anything but death parts me from you. And then when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word now, there's so many different things that want to distract us and discourage us and cause us to doubt. And so, Lord, make your word alive to us now. Holy Spirit, be in our midst. Indeed, move us and mold us through these words of life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So two weeks ago, we started the book of Ruth. And what has struck me as I've been studying Ruth, I've been reading this book over and over again, is how real and how raw this book really is. If you remember, this book takes place during a time of Israel's history where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They made the rules. They did what they thought was right and what was good. And because they were the ones who decided what was right and good, it ended up going very badly for them. They disobeyed God and his law and things that he called what was right and things that he called good. So God would judge his people. And in judging his people, he would send things like famines and evil nations to come and oppress his people for the purpose of bringing his people back to himself. Because God is a good father. And a good father corrects his children. And a good father desires to bring his children back to himself. In this book, we saw that God had sent a famine early on. Food scarcity is a tragic and desperate thing, and it leads people to doing drastic measures. 
The book of Ruth starts with how this family, this one little family, makes a drastic move in this desperate time. Elimelech, the father, his name means my God is king, decides to take matters into his own hand. And he leads his family of four, he and Naomi and their two sons, to a land called Moab. Moab is a pagan land. It hates the Israelites and it hates God. Elimelech leaves the promised land for a compromised land. His plan was to stay there just for a little bit, just to make sure that his family was safe. But he stays there a little bit too long. And if you remember from two weeks ago, the story takes a horrible turn. Elimelech dies in Moab. But there's still hope for this widow, Naomi. She has two sons, and these two sons take two Moabite women to be their wives. And so maybe there's still hope. Maybe they can have children. Maybe there can still be a future for this poor widow, Naomi. But sadly, her boys also die without bearing any children. The setup to this story is hopeless and heartbreaking. Elimelech's lack of leadership and faithfulness to God leads his family not into a land of promise, but into a land of pain. This sorrow is the backdrop to the book of Ruth. But even in that backdrop of Ruth, of this heartbreak and hopelessness, we start to see themes popping up. The first theme is that God is always at work. Even though the first five verses of Ruth don't even mention the name of God, we know that he is working. He's orchestrating all of these little things. Even behind closed doors and in dark days, God is at work. And that's a theme we're going to see play out through the book of Ruth. The second theme is this, that God's grace is for the outcast. It's for the sinner. It's for the unlikely. It's for the unlovely. And even amidst Elimelech's unfaithfulness in going to Moab, God's faithfulness shows us and brings to us our main character, who is Ruth. God's grace is the most powerful and transforming experience that you can have. And the book of Ruth shows us that over and over again, that God's grace is for the outcast. God's grace is for you and for me. So let's look at this passage that Calais just read to us and see where God is at work in everything and that his grace is for the outcast. In this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that how heartache can blind us. We're going to see that God is at work in heartache. And then lastly, we're going to see what true loyalty looks like in heartache. First, heartache blinds us. I once heard a pastor talk about soulmates. Have you ever heard of this? As being a soulmate? Maybe, maybe this is more of like an 80s thing. You know, we, we were looking for our soulmates. Maybe it's not. Maybe you are also looking for your soulmate. This like deep connection with another person. This pastor said, and I think they are right, that true soulmates are formed through pain and suffering and sadness. Those that suffer together, experience true pain together, form the deepest bonds. Naomi 
and Orpah and Ruth are soulmates. They have a deep bond. They are all widows. Orpah and Ruth loved men that Naomi gave birth to and who she loved deeply as her sons. And they had all experienced deep, profound loss. What are they going to do? They are widows in a pagan world. The world of abuse and neglect and extortion. Then word comes to Naomi that God has provided for Judah. He's provided food for Judah. God has shown mercy to Judah. You know, this is the very first place we see the name of God. And therefore, it's very God here is Lord or Yahweh. And if you remember, Yahweh means I am. And for a Jew, Yahweh means loving kindness. That God is loving kindness towards his people. And so early on, the first place we see God's name in this book is he reveals himself as the one who is loving and kind. This loving kindness, this hased that we talked about during lament, Naomi hears about it. And it starts to move her heart. God shows his mercy through rain, which meant now there is hope. Because you see, my friends, God is always at work. And the fame of his faithfulness spreads to Moab. When I was reading this, I thought about this passage in, in Ezekiel 38, this great passage. It's, a very, it's very short. It says this, so I, and that's God speaking, so I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations that I, that they will know that I am the Lord. God's fame is spreading out into even pagan lands because God is always at work. Here the fame of God's faithfulness is talked about in the fields of Moab and Naomi hears about it and she sees a glimmer of hope. Okay, maybe this is the time for me to go back now. Maybe I can go back to Bethlehem. At least I know those people there and they know me. Maybe there is some hope for me. And so she sets out to return home. And her daughter-in-laws follow her because they have such a tight bond with her. They love her. You can see it in the passage as Calais read it. You can see this love that these two girls have for their mother-in-law. This tight connection that they have with her. They want to be with her. But she tells them that returning Home to her home is not good for them. They need to return to their home. Naomi knows that these two Moabite women, if they go back to Judah, their life is going to go from bad to worse. You see, there's a law in the Jewish law, in Deuteronomy 23, in fact, that says that a Moabite cannot come into the assembly of the Jews for 400 years. They're not allowed in. They would be outcasts. Naomi knew that in one way, for these two wi widows, their life was going to go from bad to worse, was that they would have a better future in Moab, a better future in a pagan land than in God's land. And this is her first blind spot. 
You see, in her heartbreak, in her heartache, she is blind, blind to the truth of who God is. She saw a hope and a future for these women only in earthly terms. Naomi said, stay in your mother's house and you will find a husband. Perhaps she's alluding to a a arranged marriage. I don't know what the marriage was in, in Moab, but what she's saying is this. Stay in your land and you will have a future. You can get a husband who can give you kids, which means that now you have a hope. You know, it's easy for us to point fingers at Naomi, but I have the exact same blind spot. And maybe you do too. When it comes to our kids, we want them to get the right job, have the right spouse, make good money, and then be happy in this world, right? That's what we want from our kids. We want them to be happy. Why? Because if you're a parent, you have experienced deep pain, deep sorrow, and you do not want your children to go through that. And out of your pain and your heartache, we can end up giving bad advice. Naomi does that. Her profound heartache, it still believes that God is is in control, right? Because she blesses them. She says in verse 8, May the Lord deal kindly with you because you've dealt kindly with me. She still believes in this God who is up there, who kind of dispenses good things, maybe. But she does not believe in a God who dispenses good things to her. Her heartache has led her to be blind about who God is. Therefore, she says to Orpah and to Ruth, she says this, it's better for you to stay in a land where you can be married and have a hope and no God than to go with me to a land where you will be an outcast but will know a real God. She kisses her daughters and she expects them to go their way, but instead their response is one that is truly heartbreaking, isn't it? What do they do? They wail and they cry. Have you ever heard someone truly wail? I have. I have heard men and women lose children and been with them as they cry. There's nothing like that. It is a deep, deep, profound groaning. And that's what they do here. That's the word here. They groan. No, 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 no. We're going with you. Don't leave us alone. And yet, Naomi's heartache is so blinding that she doubles down. She doubles down on, on, her, uh, on her telling these women to go back home. She says something so heartbreaking to them here because her heartache has led to blindness. She says, it's so bitter how God has dealt with us. I am bitter. I'm embittered about how God has dealt with us. I feel so bad for you and for me. This word bitter is a word that shows up over and over again in the book of Ruth because her heartache has not just made her blind, but it's made her bitter. You know, Naomi is such a profound, complex character. 
It's easy for us. I think as we read this, many times in, in sermons I've, I've heard, and, and Naomi's kind of like cast aside in this. She's so real. She's so um, complex and profound. And honestly, she brings great comfort to me and encouragement because I'm just like this, and maybe you are too. In God's plan, he brings such great heartache. I am so sad. I'm so sad when I see the heartache all around me. I'm so sad at the, my own sin and the heartache that I create. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Green Mile. In Green Mile, there's this, there's this character. He's a, he's a gigantic um, African-American man who's been locked up for a crime he didn't commit. But, but what he does, he takes everybody else's pain. You know, you kind of see Naomi doing this. She's so, she's in so much pain. And in her pain and in her heartache, she's blind. And we get the same way, don't we? Amber's father has cancer. He was diagnosed a few years ago. And although it's managed, it's still there. It's still kind of hanging around because it's cancer. And Amber said to me this week that she has uh, made a list of people that she's praying for who have cancer. And she said, that list just seems to always be growing. God's promise has experienced probably the hardest trial that a person can experience. In fact, I would maybe even argue that she experienced something harsher than Job because she lost her husband and her children, everything. And her heartache blinds her to the point that she is telling her daughter-in-laws to go back to a godless country because she's not too sure her God is good. Heartache blinds us. But Naomi is not the only one who's blinded in this passage. The response from Orpah is also a blind answer. She kisses Naomi and then she leaves. Remember what I said, in Bible stories, it's really important for us to look at people and places and plot. The people here are important. Their names are important. Orpah's name is important. The name of Orpah means the back of the neck. And so Orpah leaves. That's what Naomi and Ruth see, is the back of her neck. You know, you can't blame Orpah, can you? She weighed out her options. Go to Judah, where she's going to be unknown. She's going to be an outcast, and things could potentially be worse for her. Or go back to the comfort of her home, the places where she knows and is known, the place that makes sense and is expected. Orpah's broken heart, her heartache blinded her to what could be and caused her to choose what she knew. I don't blame Orpah. In fact, in this desperate situation, I might do the exact same thing. But to the original reader, and therefore to us, there is a warning here. And here is the warning. The original hearer would have heard this, that Orpah was a Moabite who was married to a Jew. And so she would have known Jewish traditions because one part of Jewish traditions was going through the history of how God was faithful to the Jews. And so she would have heard about Yahweh. 
She would have heard about his goodness and his faithfulness. The warning is this. You can be very close to God and yet never know him. You can be brought up in a Christian home. Maybe some of you kids are. You come to church every Sunday. Maybe that's what you do on Sunday morning. You read your Bible every morning, religiously, and yet never experience the saving, transforming love of God. The warning is echoed hundreds of years later by Jesus. Jesus tells the story of a farmer who throws out his seed on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the field and he throws it everywhere. And some of the seed falls on rocky ground. It's got a little bit of dirt, but a lot of rock. And so it springs up fast. But then when the sun comes out, it withers because it has no roots. Jesus goes on and says, that sun is trials, it's suffering, it's sadness, it's persecution. The heartache that Orpah and Naomi experienced blinded their faith. They cannot see God at work because of their heartache. We can relate, can't we? It's the same for us. Everything's going fine. God's good. I got that promotion I wanted. I got a new car. And then all of a sudden, things start falling apart. Where is God? Is he good? Our heart aches, starts to blind us. That job isn't so fulfilling. My wife and my husband actually don't complete me. Parenting is actually really difficult. The older they get, even though they can bathe themselves, it seems like it still is really hard, and I'm really selfish. We start to question the goodness of God. Where is he? And quickly, our heartache starts to blind us, our advice to others, our decision-making, and our loyalty. And that is when we need to remind others, and we need to remind ourselves, of my second point, that God is always at work. Remember that this book is a narrative. It's a story. And so we, in stories, like I said, we... Look at the people, the places, and the plot. One way we can recognize plot is repeated words. One word that is repeated over and over again in this section, in this little mini plot, if you will, of the, of the story, is the word return or turn back. That word is said eight times in 12 verses. Therefore, we should probably pay attention to that. What, what does that mean? Why does, he keep, why does the writer keep saying return, turn back? Because the underlying idea in this passage is one that we all struggle with, which is this. If I could just go back to when things were simpler, where things were easier, where things were better, then things would be better. If I could just go back. I fall into this lie all the time. If I could just go back and study harder at college, then I would have a better job, make more money, and I'd be happier. If I could just different for us, if I could just go back and, and love my kids better and care for them better when they were little, maybe my parenting would look different now. There's always this idea of going back. You hear it too, right? Like, if we could just go back to when things were better. But the truth is this. God is not a recreator. He never brings people backwards. He's always bringing them forwards because God is a creator, 
He's doing something new, something better. He's always bringing people forward, growing them. So don't believe the lie that going back would solve anything. You know, there's a little bit where Naomi believes that lie. Going back home, returning. If the girls went back home, life would be better. So what is God up to in our heartache? He's creating something new. He's creating something beautiful. God's work is moving forward, not backwards. And we see it with Ruth and her reply to Naomi, the brokenhearted mother-in-law. And we see it in her true loyalty in heartache. So one, heartache can lead to blindness. Two, God is always at work in our heartache. And three, Ruth shows us true loyalty in heartache. How do these girls respond? Naomi has said something crazy, right? She said, she said, you need to go back to your home because I'm old. Look at me. I can have any more children. And if I could have children, what are you going to do? Wait around for them? She said, no, God has dealt bitterly with me. And I'm sorry that you have also had to deal with this. Now go away. Go home. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and leaves. What does Ruth do? She clings to Naomi. This word cling is the word for hold fast. It's a physical expression of loyalty. It's I'm not letting go of you. I'm for you. In Ruth's heartache, she decides to cling tighter to this embittered woman and then claim the God that this woman claims. Naomi's response to this clinging reveals even more her broken heart and her blindness. And she says, look at your sister-in-law. She's the smart one. She went back to her own country and to her own gods. Naomi is literally saying, it's better for you to serve a pagan God than to serve the God I serve. But God is at work in her heartache, and his work is to gather the outcast through grace. God's grace is for the outcast. One of my favorite verses that sums us all up is Psalm 34, 18, where it says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Ruth has experienced this God, this God who has drawn near to her in her heartbreak. Maybe it was through her family's worship. Maybe it was through Naomi's lamenting and crying out to God. Perhaps it was Ruth looking at her own religion, being like, this is crazy and hopeless and full of death. And this God is full of love and hope. Whatever it was, we're certain of this. God has worked through this heartache to draw Ruth to himself. My friends, are you in heartache right now? Are you in a heartbreak right now? The question is, what is God doing? Is he drawing you closer to himself? This is what Ruth says. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where, I, where you go, I go. And where you lodge, I lodge. 
Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more so if anything but death parts from me, parts me from you. Just as Naomi doubles down on her blind heartache, Ruth doubles down on her loyal love. Ruth's loyalty is true friendship and it springs from a changed heart. My friends, have you experienced this kind of loyalty? When I was in China, I went for a walk with a young man who asked me, what is the meaning of life? So we went for this walk, and as we walked, I told him about the Bible. And I told him about Jesus. And as I was talking about the Bible, I was like, this is crazy, right? Talking about a talking snake. That's weird, right? Talking about how sin, all of the evil comes into the world through a man and a woman eating some fruit that they're not supposed to eat. Like, you know, I'm trying to explain this in terms to somebody who doesn't uh, speak English well, and it sounded crazy. It sounds bizarre. And that's before I even get to a virgin who has a baby who's God. That's weird, and then this God-man dies on a cross so that you can live with him forever in heaven. And I said, I don't know, man. I don't. This. Even by the end of it, I don't even know if I believed it. And we're walking. We get to the point in our walk where there's a, there's a little gate. And it's very overcast. It's very cloudy. And I walk through the gate first. And as I'm thinking, I'm like, this is a, this is a bizarre story. And he walks through. And as he walks through, and I kid you not, there's a break in the clouds and the sun comes out. And as I look at him, I go, Dennis, that story is crazy. And I look at him and there are tears coming down his face. And he says, I want that crazy story to be my crazy story. You know, that is what Ruth experienced. Through heartache and pain and suffering, the loyalty of God to her. And then she chooses to be loyal to this embittered woman. Last week, Jim was here. And Connell asked him a question. You got to know something about Connell. He only asks genius questions. And he asked a genius question. And he said, Jim, what should we expect in the next three to five years from this little church plant? And Jim said this, you should expect the town of Belfont to start talking about Jesus. As we live out this loyalty, this friendship, this transformative grace that God has poured out onto us, the town should start talking about Jesus. And then he said this, you should expect this. When people come face to face with Jesus and are drawn in by Jesus, Jesus loves messy people. And so your church is going to get very messy very fast. It's going to be full of those who are heartbroken. Those that are sad. Those that are struggling. Messy people often have deep heartache. And they need loyal friends. And I know this because I'm one of them. And so are you. You are messy and you are broken and Jesus came to you 
And he healed you. And he drew near to your broken heart. So, as a church, will we commit, just like Ruth, to be friends, to be loyal to the bitter and to the angry and to the sad and to the lonely and to the heartbroken and to the messy people that God brings to our church because we were messy and heartbroken. We were bitter and blind. Jesus echoes Ruth in Matthew 8. And Jesus says to this crowd, he says, um, he says to them after he's asked by uh, uh, one of the scribes, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another disciple says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead. Jesus is saying that to follow him is going to cost, him, cost you everything. And frankly, I don't like the sound of that. In fact, even Ruth's words here, I don't like the sound of that. We say these words when we get married. There's a, there's a form of them, right? It's like for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, for health, for sickness. But we're only kind of focused on the first, the first three, not, not the second half, right? Like, yeah, well, of course we're going to be rich. Of course we're going to be healthy. Of course everything's going to be good. What happens when things fall apart? Ruth's loyalty comes from a changed heart. Jesus says, I will change your heart and you will be loyal to me. And when many people, it says in John 6, heard these words, they turned away from him because they didn't want to follow him because it was going to cost them too much. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, what about you guys? Are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of life. You see, when you meet the living God, just like Ruth did, just like Peter did, there's no turning back because you realize that he came to you first in your mess, in your brokenness, in your bitterness, and he saved you. I was asked recently, when you die, Pastor Owen, which was always a weird thing when somebody asked me that because I'm like, what's coming next? When you die, Pastor Owen, what are you going to say to Jesus? What's the first thing you're going to say to Jesus? I thought about that. I thought, I think the first thing I'm going to say to him after I praise him and fall down on my face before him is thank you for being my friend. That Jesus is a friend for sinners is one of the most comforting things, especially in our heartache and our heartbreak. With his disciples deserting him and his heartbroken mother watching him die, and as he said, it is finished, through his friendship to us, he starts to do something new for us. He starts to heal our heartache so that we can be healers of the heartbroken as well. That's why we come to this table to remember that we have a friend and his name is Jesus and he is loyal to us to the end so that we can be loyal to those around us for his sake. So let's go there now. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to the table now, we are so thankful 
for this passage that reminds us. Reminds us of the blindingness of heartache that we can blind us so quickly. How many are blinded with heartache. And how you came to us in our heartache. And you gave us eyes to see that you are our friend. Thank you for these words of Ruth. Lord, let us recommit those words now. Recommit those words to one another. That we will be loyal to one another in friendship. Just as you uh, once again commit yourselves to us at this table as we taste and see once again that you are with us. You are for us. So bless us now as we come to the table. It's in your name we pray. Amen.